for short sales, for instance, and foreclosures. Um, if you understand the numbers, you can pick up some really, really good deals. But understanding the numbers enables you to have the patience necessary to stick through to the end. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Ah, just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fund That Flip, you know Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fund That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you got to do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've got to qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's going to help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluff of stuff. We don't talk about that. We only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. With us today, we have got a short sale expert. So if you're interested in short sales, then... Keep on listening. How you doing, Lola? I do. Hi, Joe. I'm doing great. Well, nice to have you on the show and a little bit about Lola, and then she'll get into it in more detail. Lola is a real estate broker and an educator, and she was one of the first brokers to do short sales aggressively, You know, really focus on short sales in the Grand Rapids area. She has negotiated over a million dollars of concessions for her clients on short sales, and you can say hi to her at laspeaking.com. That's laspeaking.com. Or you can just simply click the link in the show notes page. With that being said, Lola, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yes. Thanks, Joe. Pleasure to be with you on the show today. Like you said, short sales was not something that... Um, I would have said that you came into real estate wanting to do. I think most people who have done them would say that you'd have to be a sadist <laughs> to, <laughs> to want to do that sort of business. But, um, you know, I, I started in real estate about 20 years ago and um, started my own company in 2005. Michigan kind of went through the whole recession thing about uh, 18, 24 months before everybody else did. And in 2005, I came across this anomaly called a short sale. And um, I had somebody call me and say, we'd like to sell our house, but we're underwater. I hadn't even heard of those terms. Well, I quickly found out that underwater meant that you couldn't sell your house 
for what it was worth. And these people were upside down on their mortgage. So um, as that progressed into a situation where by 2010, 2009, literally 68% of the homes that were being sold in the West Michigan marketplace were underwater in some form, either a foreclosure or a short sale, it meant that you had to develop a new skill set mm. to literally survive. And instead of choosing the road of foreclosures, I chose to help people with short sales. And the reason I did was I felt that there was a redemptive grace that was part of helping people to wrap up those types of really, really harsh, loose ends properly. Because many people in Michigan are still not aware of the fact that for our state, a short sale or a distressed sale is a potential 26-year nightmare. What do you mean by that? It stays with you for that long uh, on your credit? or No, the credit is not so much the issue. It's the fact that for six years, the creditor has the opportunity to determine whether they're going to collect a deficiency judgment in our state. So let's say in 2010, you did a short sale. On 2016 would be the end of that period of time in which they could make a decision as to whether they were going to do a deficiency judgment on you. So they, this, they don't have to necessarily tell you that you know they've done this. And then they have 10 years to collect on that judgment. And they have the opportunity to renew that ability to collect for an additional 10 years. So you do the math, it's a 26-year potential nightmare for somebody who was in distress when they had to sell their home and finally sold it. And because they did not get an estoppel letter or an agreement from the creditor saying, this is done, we are going to release you of your obligation, could literally have that creditor knock on their door um, or phone or sell that loan to a creditor organization who could hound you for the difference. So it's interesting. You are actually on the side of things where you are helping your client negotiate with the the lender. Yes. Whereas you know most of the the guests I have on the show, they're on the side of buying from people like your client. Yes. No. I w- I really felt that it was very important because number one, clients didn't understand their legal obligations fully. They didn't uh, appreciate the ways in which this could impact their financial stability in the future. And the process was so convoluted. Every lender was kind of like the wild, wild west. So there was not necessarily a coherent system by which things were done. And so for people who had already gone through all of their life savings many times, had emptied out retirement accounts, had tremendous trauma as they tried to hang on to this house, as the economy tanked, I just felt that it was very, very important to have somebody representing them. But it was beyond just representing from a real estate standpoint and some of the legal issues, but also um, the trauma that was happening to families and people, human beings. That was tough. So let's talk about how you were able to negotiate the concession. I'm interested in hearing the specifics of what your approach was whenever you have a client who has property underwater. And the reason why I'm asking this is because I think we can all learn 
from this process, regardless of if we're representing or you know working with uh, people who have a short sale and helping them on the buy side, whatever it is, there's something that can be learned from this. So let's pretend that you just got a call from a client. They owe more than the house is worth. And they say, can you help me? What's your conversation like with them? And then what's your conversation like with the lender? Well, first of all, you have to um, make sure that you are making a right judgment about the client. If they truly are someone for whom a short sale is the best and most viable path forward. A misjudgment at the beginning can be very costly for you as a practitioner, but also for the client. Not everybody is a short sale client, even if they're underwater. Some of the criteria are financial, but a lot of it is also just personality, being able to evaluate the individual because it's going to be a long process and you have no idea the poison pill you're biting into in the sense that, you know, um, this might be a 30-day situation. It might be a one-year situation. So you need to be able to evaluate, is this a client who understands and will benefit from what I'm trying to do for them? Will they have the capacity to endure? Another very important criteria is, are they honest? Because if you have a person who is not honest with you, you almost become like a lawyer or a doctor. There, there needs to be that level of intimacy in terms of the discussion. If they're not being honest with you, you risk being in a situation where you've done a ton of negotiation only to find out that there are assets that are being hidden. You can't do that in a short sale. You've got to be upfront. So that's number one. And then you've got to evaluate the property. Is this a property which can be short sale and it will make sense for the investors? Because you many times have layers of investors. You will have obviously the primary lender, but you might have secondary liens on this. There are times when I've had to deal with government agencies, um, removal of mechanics liens. I mean, it is an interesting jigsaw puzzle. So you have to have a very current analysis of what is the lien situation on this property and how long has the property been held. And then you do the math backwards because many of these properties had private mortgage insurance. So you're doing an analysis which looks at, okay, what is the bank getting? What are they going to be insured for? How much loss have they already incurred in terms of non-payments? What is their risk factor if this thing goes into foreclosure and the property becomes damaged? And so you do that analysis from a mathematical standpoint to see whether it's going to make sense to make an argument to this bank that this is a deal that they need to consider. It's in their best interest. So you're, you're doing a number of different analysis. And then um, most importantly for the client, you're educating the client because it becomes very, very scary, particularly the early years. There were times when we were in negotiating a transaction and you would get to a point where you thought that you had gotten a uh, some kind of a situation of an agreement and uh, your client would call you and they'd say, you know, I just got a call from somebody who sounded like they were in India and they're saying that um, let's do a deed in lieu. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd be like, excuse me? 
So very, very time consuming. A lot of the banks, the left hand did not know what the right hand was doing. So to be able to stay calm and steady so that you keep your client calm and steady and then incredibly persistent. It was amazing to me the capacity for banks to lose paperwork. It was not unusual for me within the space of a transaction to have faxed or emailed or scanned these same documents 30 times or more. Disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me cringe. (laughs) And they would just, you know, have lost it. Yeah. um, Yeah, it it was it was interesting. How, how, How do you make money off of this? Well, you know, you, it, you do not make as much money as you would if you were doing a regular foreclosure, which is done. But, um, you know, you, you get your commissions. The banks don't argue with you when you finally negotiate and, you know, they're just happy to get rid of you because you got to be very persistent. And so it's just like a, a typical commission. What is it usually like 6%, 5%, yeah. 3%? When you get them through, they don't quibble with you about your commission. I think uh, it, it's the tussle to... Right. What, so, what's, what's, so what's the percent usually? Usually it's about 6%. 6%, got yeah, it. Of, of, the, of the final price that's negotiated? Yes. Now, okay. you are sharing that just like a regular commission if you are participating with somebody else in the transaction. How do you participate with somebody else if you're <laughs> the one that's doing the, the, the legwork? Are you like coordinating with another broker or how does that work? You know, if you're doing the listing end, which is where the short sale initiates, you may bring in the buyer, but a lot of times you're going to be cooperating like you would on any transaction. So that brings up another salient point. You also have to evaluate the other agent because in our area, for instance, probably about 20% of our agents or less have ever done one short sale successfully. So when you're dealing with an agent, you you need to make sure that they understand what this is going to incorporate. I would write certain types of clauses into my um, buy-sell of penalties if you just bolted after 30 days. So you, you have to evaluate the agent and their ability to manage their client through a situation which will not necessarily be straightforward. Well, based on your experience, what's your best advice ever for real estate investors? Well, real estate investors have to be people who understand the numbers and um, understand how they need to make the numbers work for them. For short sales, for instance, and foreclosures, um, if you understand the numbers, you can pick up some really, really good deals. But Understanding the numbers enables you to have the patience necessary to stick through to the end. Are you still focused on some of the short sales or are you doing other stuff? Well, short sales actually ended up being a gateway for me into education because the short sale process required so much education of the client, of my lender or lenders, of the other agent that I actually uh, began to write a lot of information online in a blog. And I had a blog on this network called Active Rain. And um, that blog garnered in its first year over a million hits. But I wrote a lot about what the short sale process looked like, what to expect. And as a result of that, I realized that, you know what? 
there is a lot of stuff that I take for granted, which is information that I've gleaned that is really helpful to a lot of people. So that became the window uh, for creating coursework about things like that, but then also expanding into areas like the cultural intelligence and placemaking and smart cities, things that are um, about how real estate can impact not just our lives as realtors, but our clients' lives and our communities' lives in a way that makes our communities a better place to live. I'm going back to the short sale, and I, I understand that you led with wanting to help others with the, some very uh, you know, unfortunate circumstances, whether they were self-imposed or not. But up to 6% is, is, you know, as you know, it's the same, t- same level of commission as you'd get for other listings. Uh, and if there's another broker, then you'd be splitting it. But boy, I mean, you mentioned faxing the same thing 30 different times. It seems like a whole lot of work when you look at it compared to the return. Have you looked at that from a time standpoint as far as like how much time you're putting into it versus the type of return you're getting? Absolutely. And the systems have changed from when we were initially doing them in 2005. The most important thing is you have to be very organized and systematic. If you're trying to scramble to figure out everything and find everything, it's extremely time consuming. I mean, you just had files in your computer and, you know, you knew that they would lose it and you would just load up the file and send it again. You have to be somebody who is um, not easily ruffled. You also have to be somebody who's just tenacious. With regards to do you do this because you want to get wealthy, I would say no. But what I did find that is it garnered tremendous client loyalty. My business was not based on me going out and advertising. People would find me because they needed help. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And then with that client loyalty, are you then mixing in regular listings to balance out your sanity? Yes, but more importantly, I began to diversify. So I have, you know, my real estate practice, but I do a lot of speaking and teaching and training. And I have the copyright on the courses in which I create. So it's not all the eggs in one basket. Let's talk about that blog that you have on Active Rain. It's called All About Graham Rapids, Michigan Real Estate Blog, right? Am I on the right page? You probably are, yes. Okay, so I just searched your name and I with Active Rain, and now here I am. And I see that you're posting. Well, actually, you haven't posted. Not on that one. Yeah, I haven't posted. Okay. Well, I've got, the one that I, I am on right now is it's a hyper-local blog which I write about things that are happening in Grand Rapids. But that's where I got my start But why? In 2007. If, if it was generating a million hits in a month. So no, that was over no a yeah, sorry, sorry. A million hits over yeah. what period of time? 2007, 2008 was the first time that I actually looked at those numbers and I was just shocked as to how much traffic that thing was generating. And what it ended up doing, Joe, was that it gave me a national platform because prior to that, I had only been you know, a real estate broker in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And with that volume of 
people looking at that blog post, the blog post that I was writing, and I was writing on a number of elements with regards to real estate, but also about short sales and helping people. It took me out of Grand Rapids. It took me onto the national stage. It took me onto the right. state stage right. um, and began to have opportunities to serve as well as teach on those platforms. I'm on page 15, which is far back as it allowed me to go, and that was in 2009. When did you start blogging for him? Was it 2009? No, no. I, my first blog post would have been at the end of 2006. End of 2006. Yeah, okay. December of 2006. And looks like you've, you've, you've posted all the way up to 2015. And so there was a million hits between 2006 and 2015? Yes. Okay, got it, got no, it. Oh, right. Yeah, so I mean, there's no, it was more than that. I mean, the time when I actually sat down and did the 2000, I mean, did the hits would have been 2007 to 2008. Okay, so in, in about two years, two to three years, you got a million correct, hits. Correct, correct. Okay. In about 2009, I decided to start focusing on my own personal blog that was dealing with Grand Rapids. And how many hits do you have on that? That one is going to be much less than the active reign. It's probably 120,000 or something like that. A month or a year or what? Yeah, I mean, overall. Overall. It's, it's, it's much, much less, but... It belongs to me, and I, I deal with content that is West Michigan-related. Yeah, super hyper-specific. Correct. Why, why, did, why did you stop on Active Rain if you had a following and you had established traction? Just And I ask this from a marketing standpoint, and this is applicable to any real estate investor out there. I'm curious about that. Well, the nice thing about blogging, Joe, is that it doesn't matter whether you stop or not because that blog talks for you 24-7, 365 days a year. So the content is already out there. So it wasn't one of these things where because you're no longer posting, the blog is no longer working. People will still find me and the material and the content that I wrote because if they're interested in that, it pulls up. So... After some time, many people who were on Active Rain, the people who started in 2006, which is amazing to think that that was 10 years ago, moved on to different things. So I was probably one of the later people to actually move off that platform on, a, on a, an engaged basis. Got it. So pe people were leaving, so you didn't see it as a good use of your time to blog there, so you moved over to your own blog. Correct. Got correct. it. Okay. Most people who started are no longer there, but for the people who started at the time I did, it was an incredibly powerful community of people supporting each other through some very difficult stuff cool. and also extending, ex you know, expanding and sharing knowledge. Got it. Okay. Sounds good. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. All right. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you looking for a fast start to real estate investing? And do you want to learn how to get that fast start for free? Then you're in luck because a previous best ever guest, Teresa Bradley Banta, her episode was number 68. If you want to go listen to that, she's got a program she just launched called Fast Start to Real Estate Investing. All you got to do is go to the website and uh, get started. It's 10 videos, bonus resources, 30-minute call with Teresa, um, all for free. 
go to her website, which is TeresaBradleyBanta.com. That's spelled T-H-E-R-E-S-A-B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-B-A-N-T-A.com. And then click the tab on the far upper right-hand corner titled Fast Start Program. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book I read? I am a reader, reader, reader. Um, you know, one of the most interesting books I read was this autobiography of this guy named George Mueller. And he was a guy who lived in the 1875, and he had an orphanage. It was literally a diary of how he fed these 300 kids, or however many kids, from just prayer and faith. And boy, I think being in real estate where every morning you wake up unemployed, (laughs) it was a book that was very inspirational to me and continues to be on my bookshelf. Awesome. The autobiography of George Mueller, right? Yep. The Life of Trust. All right. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it? You know, I I think the whole process of um, having to reinvent and reshape myself as a result of the recession and having to expand my portfolio of offerings from just being a realtor to thinking through what are my talents, what are my skills, what do I love doing, how can I help people beyond real estate? And so that process, I thought, break a lot of people, Joe. Um, a lot of people, we lost um, almost a third of our real estate board during that time. But for those who were able to stay on, it refined us. It sharpened my focus. It helped me understand that my talents can be used in a number of ways and that what we went through in real estate and how we came through it, through that huge uh, downturn, is of value to people outside of my immediate industry. And that's what I do when I teach. Reminds me of, uh, for, for whatever reason, when you said when there, whenever the times were tough and you lost some people, it reminds me of just like Darwinism and thinning of the herd. You know, it's just like, mm. you know, you have to evolve. If, if you don't evolve, then, then you don't survive. And I mean, you're living proof of that where you've evolved and continue to reinvent yourself and and found what makes sense at that time. Best ever deal you've done? That was an interesting transaction. I had this couple come over to see me and they were about to lose their home. And it was a group home situation and I didn't know at the time, but it had been in the media. It was just a really difficult situation. Two good people in over their heads with a lot of foster kids. And negotiating that transaction and helping that couple and the individuals and the children who were left in that system get out of that situation whole from the trauma that they had experienced was one of the most challenging transactions I've ever done, but also one of the largest. Um, We were dealing with one lien where I was negotiating almost $350,000 worth of debt forgiveness. So while the numbers were huge, what was even more critical was helping people to heal from a situation that had been so traumatic in their lives. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I think education is a lens through which we shape how we view life. 
And um, so anytime I can encourage somebody to achieve their goals, give them knowledge to empower them, that's a good day for me. And what's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? <laughs> wow, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, um, I would actually say it might not necessarily be real estate related, but in terms of um, not being as effective and truly being a, a, a judge of, of character in terms of agents or people that you choose to align yourself with, learning the hard way. I haven't invested in a lot of properties, so I don't have a lot of those types of mistakes, but just being a good judge of people, I think um, has been probably my Achilles heel sometimes. And what's one lesson you've learned to become a better judge of people? What do you do now that you weren't doing before? Well, I'm still a work in progress, put it that way. <laughs> but I have learned that when people show you who they are, believe them. Makes sense. And what's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? At my website, laspeaking.com or outdorealestate.com. That's my real estate website. So those two ways are probably the best ways to get me online and also has my contact information. Awesome. Well, Lola, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story and your advice with the best ever listeners and talking us through how you work with the, the individuals who are going through or might want to go through or need to go through the short sale process, not want, they don't, no one wants to go through the process, but might need to go through the short sale process and the things that you look for, because you know we have a lot of investors who are listening who speak to these individuals and it's important to get a different perspective, a different angle on that. And you said kind of two categories that you look at for the process. One is, can it be short sailed and does it make sense for the investors? So the primary lender, the secondary liens, the government agencies, the mechanic liens, and then two, doing the math backwards and see what the bank's getting, what will they be insured for? What's the risk factor in the foreclosure? If, if there's damage and then making sure the numbers work. And then it's just a matter of a calculation. Then you go to the bank and you have that conversation. So thank you for walking us through that. Also sharing how you've reinvented yourself and kind of continue to evolve in the industry as needed. And I hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. It was great talking to you. Are you looking for a fast start to real estate investing? And do you want to learn how to get that fast start for free? then you're in luck because a previous best ever guest, Teresa Bradley Banta, her episode was number 68 if you want to go listen to that. She's got a program she just launched called Fast Start to Real Estate Investing. All you got to do is go to the website and uh, get started. It's 10 videos, bonus resources, 30-minute call with Teresa, um, all for free. Go to her website, which is TeresaBradleyBanta.com. That's spelled T-H-E-R-E-S-A-B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-B-A-N-T-A dot com. And then click the tab on the far upper right-hand corner titled Fast Start Program.